In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Coach! Coach! Put me in! I can do it! I know I can! Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on! You've seen me at practice. Billy! Billy, come over here and tell the coach to put me in! I'm ready. I can do this. I don't know how many times in a football or a soccer or even basketball season that these conversations come around. But my guess is it's, it's rather often, often or at least in some of the films I've seen, in the final moments of the match when everything is on the line, the championship title, the gold medal at the Olympics, the high school state track meet, there's someone, usually the person who can't kick or pass well, maybe isn't the fastest runner or the best free throw shooter. Perhaps someone who has never cracked a home run in their life with bases loaded is put into the game. Not because they have some special ability, but because all is lost and hopeless. And the coach decides to just go ahead and with a deep sigh and a sense of resignation, he puts this person in. Now, I can only imagine that the rest of the team is scratching their heads and wondering, what in the wild world of sports is going on here? Him? They put him in? We're doomed for sure. Who does he think he is? And that is exactly how I feel when I read this passage from Mark. Who on earth do James and John think they are? How dare they approach our blessed Lord and ask to sit on the right and the left hands of glory and majesty. After all, and I think this is where we need to be honest with ourselves. After all, one of those places is reserved for me, right? Well, the first thing we need to set straight is James and John, these sons of thunder as they are sometimes called, is that they still have not understood the point of what Jesus has been talking about. They do not understand Jesus. The, the, the uh, Zebedee brothers are still caught up in this earthly and socio-political understanding of what the Messiah, the son of David, is supposed to be and do. They see Jesus as someone who is preparing to lead an army into battle, to rout out the Romans and restore Jerusalem and Israel to a monarchy led by an heir to the throne of David. If we were all using our Bibles together, I would ask you to move to the beginning of the next chapter, chapter 11, and see that the events of Palm Sunday and Holy Week begin to unfold. James and John are asking Jesus just when they think that time is ripe to be placed in positions of earthly honor. It would be like someone becoming president in a coup 
and having two followers asking one to become vice president and the other to become the secretary of state. Now, part of what is so troubling about this is that in the previous chapter, chapter 9, James and John, as well as Simon Peter, had been on the mountain with Jesus when Jesus was transfigured and appeared in glory. And Jesus spoke with Moses and Elijah, and they heard a voice, the voice of the Lord, saying, This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. But before we condemn these sons of thunder, it would probably be a good time to ask a question about ourselves. How often do we crave power? Or even, how often do we pray that God gives us authority over something or someone? We pray for the promotion at work, or even that someone who is troubling us will just conform to our will. And sometimes we become intoxicated with power, or even the idea of having power. None of us are truly innocent of that desire. But there's also another question that we need to ask ourselves. But before we do, let's look at Jesus' response. First, Jesus doesn't chide or upbraid them for coming with this petition. What's rather noteworthy is the sense of confidence and comfortableness with the request. And we always teach in church that we can take anything to Jesus. It's part of our teaching on prayer. Nothing is too big or too small to lay at Jesus' feet. Instead, Jesus answers them, like I'm certain he answers many of us each day, you really don't know what you're asking for. It's like asking for the raise in a corner office at work. Lord, please let me get that offer with the, I don't know, $25,000 a month in extra income. Why do we ask? Do we think it will make us happier? Alleviate some of our suffering? Perhaps even allow us to keep up with the Joneses just down the street. And sometimes Jesus asks us if we want the raise to better our life or our family life. Or in reality, will it cause more debt in the long run as we overspend our budget again like we're already doing now? Or will it put enmity between spouses in the household? Or will that extra funding cause us to become more slothful? 
perhaps even more greedy. You don't know what you're asking for. Wrapped into this conversation is the final prediction in Mark that Jesus makes regarding his crucifixion. Jesus is preparing to enter Jerusalem, and he is well aware of all that is about to happen. Our gospel opens right after Jesus says that he is going to Jerusalem to die, to be spit upon, flogged, tortured, and killed. And each time he has said anything to the disciples about this impending death, to help prepare them for it. The disciples get it all wrong. It would be like someone that you are intimately close to saying to you, I am going to die within two weeks' time, and I will be killed. And you answer back, well... If that's the case, then, then give me whatever I ask from you, like that secret recipe that you've been hiding from me. Or, you're not going to need this car that I've always envied. Pass it on to me now. But this time, Jesus turns the tables on James and John and asks if they are able and willing to die to be baptized into Christ's own death, as it were. And like the basketball player who cries out, Coach, 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 let me play. They say, yes. Yes. And in essence, they commit themselves to a life destined for martyrdom. Jesus grants James and John what he can give them, what is fitting and right for them to receive. But Jesus also tells them that what they are asking for, to sit in glory on each side as kings and regents, is not his to grant. Jesus gives James and John the grace to become like him which is part of what we all pray for when we are gathered here to be transformed into a more perfect image of Christ, to become more like Jesus. Something that I recently became more aware of, let's say in the last four or five years, that has helped to both strengthen my faith and also to accept the answers from God that I probably, actually no, I know I would not have accepted willingly, and that is to take seriously the few things that we sometimes pray for by rote and, and actually engage with those prayers instead of, just repeating them and not giving much thought to what we say. Each liturgy of this church contains within it the Lord's Prayer. We say it at everything we do. 
And for instance, when we pray it, do we actually engage with it? Or is it just time to say that prayer again? And do we really mean what we say? Thy will be done. When we implore for our needs and our desires to be fulfilled by God, we say, but Lord, thy will be done. Or, are we like the disciples, our fellow companions who said, Lord, we want you to do whatever it is that we want you to do. Like, never mind your will, just do what we want. In a few moments, we will confess our sins and we will tell our maker that we are truly sorry and we humbly repent. But are we? Are we sorry? Are we sorry we insulted that coworker? Are we sorry that we ate the last piece of cake that we knew someone else wanted? Are we sorry that we drank too much? Are we sorry that we cut in line at the gas station or lost our temper with someone even though in our minds we think they deserved it? During our Eucharistic prayers and in the various forms that we have them in, we offer our souls, our bodies, our lives unto God. But how often do we hold back and reserve some places just for ourselves or just for some things that we know are sinful? We give our time to God, but it better not be when football is on. Or we give our lives to God except when we party hard on Friday and Saturday night. Or we surrender our wills to God, but we still watch those movies that are rather explicit. Or we read those magazines with some unsightly pictures, and we know we shouldn't. This morning, and really, any time we pray or hear the liturgy or sing the hymns, think about what we are really saying, what we are really asking for. And if it's something like, thy will be done, or forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, and you have trouble with it, and you are convicted in your soul and spirit about it, and find yourself caught up short, then ask for the grace to learn to accept the teaching and to be transformed by the power of the Spirit. So, the question I mentioned earlier that I think we are now ready to ask is this. Are you ready to really enter the game? 
Are you ready to make the game-winning catch, to kick the field goal, hit the home run? Are you ready to truly commit your life to Christ and to be his church and to be his people? Are you ready to pray for this parish to be transformed into the temple of the holy? Are you ready to pray that we become the refuge of the poor and the needy, the hurting and the wounded, and even the joyful and the happy? Are you ready to accept both saints and sinners here at this altar rail. Are you ready? If you ask, be ready to receive. Lord, give us what we ask for. But be careful. Because our blessed Lord may just grant what you want or something close to it. But rest assured in this, whatever he grants, he will give you the gifts of grace to survive and flourish and live. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.